Well, we're going to, we'll see how far we get to finishing 1 Corinthians tonight. Um, we went through verse 4 of chapter 16 last week, and that was my plan. I saw that as being a section that was worthy of our attention. And uh, so we'll try to move through the rest of the chapter. I don't know if we'll make it, but we might. So we're going to begin in verse 5, 1 Corinthians 16, 5. The Apostle Paul writes, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Verse 10. When Timothy comes to see... When Timothy comes... Pause. <laughs> see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos... I strongly urged him to visit you uh, with the other brothers, but it, was not, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, uh, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and uh, Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord, and the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. Actually, the word there is Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right. So... Let's see if we can, uh, we can jump into that. Um, he says, after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia, um, then I'll come to you. So um, if I had our screen over here, I could put an image, uh, a map up here. But uh, our projector, uh, the bulb on our projector over there went dead. And I didn't want to put a giant image behind me and you know, get all the map all over my face. <laughs> I didn't think that would look very good either. Um, but what I need you to imagine is, you know, a map here, okay? And right in the center is the Mediterranean, okay? Way down here along this coast, this imaginary coast, remember Mediterranean here, along this coast right here, right? Um, down toward the bottom is Judea, right? And you move up into the region of Syria, and then you come around. We're still on land. Here's the Mediterranean. You, come, you still come on land, and here's this region called uh, Galatia. And then you move on over here. Again, here's the water still here. We're just moving up and around, 
and then you get into this region of Asia, Asia Minor, okay? And uh, then you cross a body of water right here, the Adriatic Sea. Is that what it is, the Adriatic Sea? The Aegean Sea, excuse me. So Mediterranean here, we've gone up the coast and around and over Asia Minor, and then the Aegean Sea is right here, and you cross over, and up here north is Macedonia. This would be considered a part of Greece, but more proper, what we would consider Greece today, you go down south again, again, Mediterranean in the middle, this is all land, you go down here, and then here's Achaia, and this is where Corinth is, over here, okay? So technically, Paul could get on a ship over here um, near Antioch where the, the, um, the Gentile church is, or uh, he, does, uh, he does travel in and out of uh, Caesarea, and he could just take that ship across the Mediterranean into the Aegean and over to Corinth, okay? So, I know, it's my map in the air. But what I want you to understand is, you know, Mediterranean here, here's all this land coming around. Paul was over here in Asia Minor. He was in Ephesus when he was writing this letter to, to Corinth, right? Go across the Aegean and then go down, and then there's Corinth down here. So he says, I'm going to leave Ephesus, and I'm going to go through Macedonia, which is north of Achaia, which is the region that Corinth is in, okay? Achaia is the region, Corinth is the city. Um, other cities that were in uh, Macedonia would be Philippi, Thessalonica, right? So Philippians, Thessalonians. When Paul originally, on his second missionary journey, started the church in Corinth, that's what he had done. He didn't, uh, it wasn't given permission by the Lord to uh, do any ministry in Asia Minor at that point, so he heard the Macedonian call. You remember that idea? Okay, from church, comes from Acts. He's praying, he sees a man of Macedonia calling to him, saying, come over here, okay, to us. And so Paul took that uh, to be a vision that the Lord wanted him to go there. So that's when he went over to Macedonia, and he started the church in Philippi and the churches in Thessalonica, and then went south. Started the church in Corinth, and stayed there for 18 months, and then that really pretty much concluded the second missionary journey. He stops off in Ephesus, right? So he goes back across the Aegean Sea, stops off in Ephesus, but doesn't sense that the Lord has given him permission to, to stay there, right? And then goes back to the church at Antioch. And from there, he starts the third and last missionary journey, right? Um, so that's kind of an overview. I don't know if that helps you or not, but we're into these details now, and it helps to have some sort of an idea of what the Apostle's talking about. Now, virtually any Bible is going to have maps. I would really encourage you, when you're reading these texts that are making reference to place names, go to the back of that Bible, or if you're, you, you know, if you're using a, you know, a Bible app of some sort, you can look. The, I mean, with the age of the internet, there's no reason not to know where these places are, really. Um, and then you can have this picture in your mind, and then when you're reading, it comes to life. Oh, okay, it makes more sense, right? Now, what I want you to see here uh, is a lesson in making plans, okay? What, you know, what 
is it that motivates you to make plans? What is behind your plans many times? Well, usually we're planning to make a profit or we're planning because, you know, we're planning some sort of a, a, a pleasure. We're going to go to a restaurant or a movie uh, or we're going to go on vacation, right? But the Apostle Paul made plans, right? He didn't just, you know, wake up every day and say, okay, Lord, take me somewhere. He made plans. And I've often said, you cannot turn a bike that you're not pedaling, right? You remember when you learned how to ride a bike? So, you know, when you first learned it had training wheels and so you could sit on it and it wouldn't tip over. And then, you know, this was, thankfully, this was one of the things that my biological father was there to do for me uh, before his alcoholism caused uh, the divorce. But uh, I remember him, uh, you know, doing the, the, the dad thing and running alongside you, you know, on the bike so that you can have enough speed so that the bike will stay up and then letting go. And it's so funny because I look at that bike now and it was so little. It was this little tiny bike, right? <laughs> and I was terrified that the thing was going to fall over without the trending wheels. Well, it would if I wasn't pedaling. If you're not moving, you're not going anywhere. And you can't turn right and you can't turn left. So pray. And if the Lord hasn't revealed anything to you, then make the best plan possible, you know, to glorify and honor the Lord. Well, you know, Paul made some plans. He made a plan. He says, I'm going to come to you after I go to, through Macedonia. So he's planned what he does um, is he starts these churches and then he goes back through and checks on them, right? He started churches on the first missionary journey. And that stopped kind of in that region of Galatia, and then he, uh, he went back. Second missionary journey, I just really went through with you. He goes all the way around and down to Corinth, and then stops at Ephesus, and then goes back. Now, um, at the writing of this letter, he's on the third missionary journey. So when he's writing 1 Corinthians... He's on his third missionary journey, and he's already been in Ephesus for two years or close to it because he ministered in Ephesus for two years. And as we're going to see, uh, he had a very, very fruitful ministry there and a lot of opposition as well. So he's planning on this third missionary journey. He's doing what he had done before. He went through and encouraged the churches. So presumably he's planning on going across the Aegean, stopping in Philippi, stopping in, the, the, in Thessalonica, and encouraging those churches as he drops down to Corinth, right? So he says, I'm going to come to you after I go through Macedonia. So he's not going to make a trip straight to Corinth. He's already promised them he's going to come and visit them. Um, he says, perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way. They didn't travel in the winter. It was dangerous, all right? In fact, uh, Paul's huge uh, shipwreck that took place happened after the third missionary journey. He came back to Jerusalem, uh, got accosted in the temple, uh, was arrested, was uh, um, held in prison for two years, appealed to Caesar, and then took a ship to Rome. Well, this ship was, you know, had all of its cargo and everything, but it was getting on toward the end of fall. And this is when you didn't travel, 
because it was dangerous. Well, that's exactly what happened. You know, they, they needed a harbor to winter in, and they were going to stay at, stay at one harbor, but it looked like it was fair, so they were like, no, we're going to go around here to this other harbor because they'd have to stay there for three months. So they took off in that ship. Now, this is all in Acts, okay? Um, they took off in that ship, and then a huge storm, uh, I believe he calls it a nor'easter, right? Coming from the northeast, presumably, uh, blew up. And I mean, it was dark and stormy, and they didn't see land for two weeks. They ended up throwing all the grain overboard. They threw the ship's tackle overboard. They thought they were going to die. This is how dangerous it was to travel in winter. So the Apostle Paul says, um, you know, perhaps I can stay the winter with you. Because he, he really, he wants to get this church, he wants them straightened out. But he also, he loves them very much. Um, and he cares about them. And he says that you may send me on my way. Well, that means that he's going to allow them to contribute to his ministry as he moves further, right? He says, I don't want to see you just in passing. I, I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. So he recognizes a need for a longer stay with the Corinthians, and so he will not come to them when he has no time to stay. Well, it appears that Paul did remain with the Corinthians for three months. If we read in Acts 20, verse 3, it says that he followed through with these plans. He did travel through Macedonia, and it says in Acts 23, it doesn't say Corinth. It says he was in Greece for three months, but this would be Greece proper, right? So the operant principle here is if the Lord permits. That's what you and I should be saying when we make plans, if the Lord allows, if the Lord wills, make a plan, pedal the bike, but be ready to be stopped, be ready to be directed. Now, see, if you're anything like me, once I make a plan, right, I want to follow the plan. That's where I want to go, and that's where I want to do, and I don't want to be distracted, right? I don't want, you know, people to cut in in front of me when I'm driving. I don't want people to interrupt me. This is in the age of these cell phones and the internet and all this, I turn off almost all of my notifications because it will notify you to utter distraction, right? Everything wants to know, hey, do you want to turn notifications on? Do you want to turn notifications on? And notifications on Facebook, notifications on Instagram, notifications on Twitter, notifications from your text, notifications from your five email addresses, notification, notification, notification. Oh my word, stop notifying me. <laughs> You don't get anything done. It's just constant notifications, which is to say everybody has access to you all the time. Man, friends, you need to have time to yourself. You really do. You need to have time when it's just you and the Lord, right? When you put the kids to bed, when, you know, you don't take any calls. And if people get grumpy about it, then they get grumpy about it. I, you know, I don't know. Technically, I probably should leave my phone on all the time or whatever, but I get tired, and I will tell you, if you send me anything after about 9.30 at night, I'm not going to see it until maybe 5.30 the next morning. So if you're like, well, he's not answering, <laughs> and then I wake you up with an answer, you'll know how that works. <laughs> what happens is I just went to bed, right? And I don't look at my phone. And, you know, the watch does everything. from the, I take my watch off and put it on the charger, and I'm done. I'm reading, you know, whatever. I'm just going to trust the Lord if there's some major emergency that, you know, I'll have the presence of mind to pay attention to the Holy Spirit and glance over at my phone or something. 
But other than that, man, I'm, you know, I'm headed for, listen, make time for yourself and the Lord, right? Don't let everything and everyone else run your life. It'll ruin your life, right? Now, you can go the opposite direction and just do everything for yourself, and that's not good either. But the key is, if the Lord permits, if the Lord wills, this is what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's the Son of God. He knows that God has sent him to earth with the explicit purpose of dying on that cross for our sins. And still, he was not a masochist. He didn't want to endure all that pain. So he got all the way to the garden, and he said, Father, if you can make this cup pass from my hand, then please do it. You know, he didn't want to have to go through all of that if there was another way. Is there another way, Lord? And then he stopped, and he said what we all need to say. Yet not my will, but thy will be done. That's what you and I need to be saying all the time. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, I preached the message uh, that I called Vaya con Dios, Go with God. And um, what my uh, the purpose of that message was to help you to understand that you and I need to be doing what God plans and what God wills rather than trying to get God in on what I plan and what I will. I need to see the direction that God is moving, and I need to move that direction. So I started this off um, by coattailing on a conversation we were having before we started the, um, the stream about you know, being sensitive to the Lord's call and having a purpose in your life at every point in your journey, at, at every season of life, we could say. Um, this is exactly what we're saying here. You need to be saying, not my will, but thy will be done. God, what do you have for me? God, what do you want for me? Not pushing my will and getting it my way and getting God in on you know, my plans and getting his blessings for what I want to do. I need to figure out what the Lord wants me to do. And this is what Paul is doing all along the way. Then he says, oh, well, here's, uh, by the way, as a backup for this, uh, I gave you the example of Jesus in the garden, and then <clears throat> here is the first pastor of the Jerusalem church, the half-brother of Jesus, James, and this is what he writes in James 4, 13 through 15. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Guys, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. That's what he said. You make all these big plans, but you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. For you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, this is us, what should we say? If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. We don't know what tomorrow holds, friends. Worrying about it doesn't help anything and won't change it, right? Making our big plan, well, I need the one that's already at tomorrow, right? And you, you've heard this phrase before. I'm just repeating, but it bears repeating. Um, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. That's who I need to trust. That's who I need to seek, right? So, you know, it's the old let go and let God, and people get frustrated at that, but that's what you really need to do, all right? Um, trust the Lord. Then he says, I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. So this kind of tells us 
where he is in time as far as his ministry is concerned, right? So this is why I said at the beginning of this teaching that <clears throat> Paul was in Ephesus writing this letter, and he was at the end of or near the end of his ministry there in Ephesus, okay? He says, a wide door for effective service is open to me. So he's not ready to leave just yet. He's still seeing the fruit come in. He knows that he needs to go and encourage these other churches. He knows that he needs to go and uh, visit with the Corinthians. But the Lord is still keeping him in Ephesus because there is still ministry that is going on there, right? Um, The tense of the Greek verb that is translated, uh, this door has opened to me is the perfect tense, and it means that that door of opportunity remains open until the point of the writing of this letter. So um, if you want to read about Paul's ministry in Ephesus, then go to Acts chapter 19. While he was in Ephesus, the gospel went out into the entire region of Asia Minor. That's in Acts 19.10. Churches were started even in cities where Paul didn't visit. Paul never visited Colossae. But we have a letter that he wrote to Colossae, and it's called what? Colossae would be for the Colossians. Okay? That church was started by someone that got saved and, you know, was called to to go and preach the gospel. Uh, The church at Laodicea. Now, we don't have um, a lot of positive uh, feedback about that church, but it did exist It was in Asia Minor. It's one of the seven churches that Jesus spoke to in Revelation. Paul didn't start that church either, right? So this is, you know, where we see that the ministry is multiplying, the gospel is multiplying, is people that were saved under Paul were going out and starting churches. And this is happening all over Asia Minor. So um, in addition to that, and this is something that that we need to... um, take as really kind of a principle, maybe a proverb, is that when success comes, challenges are going to come. When you're doing well, you're going to encounter opposition. This ain't heaven, friends. This is, this is a battleground. This is, this is training. So you're, you're always, even when things are going really, really well, you need to be ready. You know, it's like the illustration that... Uh, that I gave Sunday uh, about my skiing experiences, and you go and you try all these hard, hard skiing, you know, runs as blacks and double blacks, and you get down and you let your guard down, and that's when you fall, right? <laughs> Those of you who think you stand, take heed lest you fall. You know, it's as difficult to navigate success as it is to push through failure. But again. Uh, I think I mentioned this on Sunday. This is why, this is the context of Philippians 4.13, right? When the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, what precedes that is this statement about, I know how to get along with little, and I know how to get along with much. Do you and I? You know, we're facing difficult, challenging economic times right now. Gas is, you know, coming up to $5 a gallon, and I'm still driving a four-wheel drive truck. <laughs> you know, and, and so all of us are, you know, we're, yeah, well, okay, we got to keep trust in the Lord, and we've got to make adjustments and rise to the occasion, right? 
Um, so wherever there's success, there's going to be challenges, and there's going to be opposition. If you preach the gospel, if you stand for Jesus, there are going to be people that don't want to hear it and will oppose you. Then he says, um, this is verses 10 and 11. Now, if Timothy comes to... <laughs> I, I think I did this the last time I read this. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he has no reason to be afraid while among you, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So do not look down on him, anyone, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brothers. So Timothy was Paul's protege. Uh, he recruited Timothy on the second missionary journey while he was in the region called Lystra. And uh, Timothy became the apostle's most trusted partner in ministry, I think we could say. Um, first and second Timothy were written to this young man. Timothy is listed also as a co-author of the letters to the Thessalonians. So Timothy factored significantly into uh, assisting in ministry in Thessalonica. And Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus. We see that in 1 Timothy 1.3. In fact, that's the context. If you remember when we were studying 1 Timothy, Paul is speaking to the Ephesians through Timothy. He anticipates that that letter isn't just going to be read by Timothy privately, but that he, the things that he is saying to Timothy will be shared with the Ephesians. So Timothy is very young, but Paul trusts him. He trusts his character primarily. Um, Timothy is probably not as bold as Paul, not as outspoken. He seems to be perhaps uh, a more frail young man. Uh, Paul tells him that he can drink a little wine because of his frequent stomach ailments. Um, and that could be because, you know, the water was not good back then. Put a little alcohol in the water, okay? Um, and uh, we see this today. I just got finished reading a novel, and it was uh, about a man who went to uh, Nicaragua, and he ate at a restaurant, and he got incredibly sick, so sick that he passed out on the street. He was leaking from both ends, if you will, and uh, he got robbed. His watch got stolen. His wallet got stolen. He was covered in vomit and diarrhea, laying in the street, and uh, this lady who ends up being a nurse uh, picks him up and helps him. So it's a really good story. Um, not this part of it. <laughs> it ends up being a good story. Um, but he, he got amoebic dysentery. Well, he knew not to drink the water, but he ate some salsa that was made with the water from there. And so even those who are from there can get this form of dysentery. Um, so the water is not great everywhere in the world. And uh, so the solution of the nurse, by the way, in uh, Nicaragua was to put uh, a couple of drops of bleach in the water. Now, obviously, you don't want to drink bleach. But if you put a couple of drops of bleach in the water, it's not going to kill you, but it will kill the bacteria that are in there that could kill you, right? Um, but uh, Timothy seems to have been a rather frail and a somewhat timid young man. Um, uh, a verse that often is quoted, and I could recommend it for you to memorize, um, is uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, right? It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of love and power and a sound mind, or love and power and discipline. Well, that's good. 
That's really, really good. And that, you know, I mean, Paul had been ministering with Timothy for quite a while, and he's still telling him, don't be timid, Timothy. Don't be timid, Timothy. Be bold, Timothy, right? Well, you know, some of us, that's just our nature. We're, we're more shy. And some of us, our nature, you know, we're more bold. Some of us are more extroverted. Some of us are more introverted. And even some people that are extroverted have just learned to manage the outside world while they kind of cope with their inner world, right? Uh, this is the tragedy of comedians like uh, Robin Williams. I mean, you know, super funny guy, right? Manic on stage. And then he commits suicide. And we're all going, what? That doesn't make any sense. You don't know what someone's inner world is like, okay? Conversely, some of the best actresses and actors are very shy in person, even awkward. But give them a script and a character to become, and they get on stage and they blow you away. You just don't know what's on the inside, right? And so you and I don't want to be... Um, um, short-selling God by saying, well, that's just not my gift. I, you know, I can't do that. Remember Moses? Moses said, I can't speak. Now, some have, some have uh, assumed that maybe this meant that Moses had a stuttering problem. I don't think so. Uh, public speaking is not something that many people are willing to do. Um, it's terrifying to a lot of people. It's one of the most terrifying things for many people. But beyond that, Moses just didn't feel like he was equipped. He just didn't feel like, you know, he was up for the job. And God actually got mad at Moses. He said, look, I'll send your brother Aaron with you. He speaks well. <laughs> you know, so initially, you know, Moses is God's man. This is the one that, that God has chosen. But Aaron is the one holding the staff. Well, eventually, Moses takes the reins and realizes who he is and what he's all about. So, uh, yeah, don't short sell God. Don't assume that, uh, well, I can't do that because I'm not gifted in that area. Well, God may want to supernaturally gift you in that area. Anybody that, you know, so, someone who is naturally gifted, talented, charismatic, everybody just assumes that they're going to be successful. They're naturally funny, uh, they're naturally leaders, they're naturally beautiful or handsome, they naturally attract a crowd. God doesn't get the glory from that, guys. He doesn't. You know who he gets the glory from? By using goofy people like you and me. That's how he gets the glory. Because we're like, well, I don't have a whole lot to offer. Do you, do you know, before I was saved and called to preach, do you know what I wanted to do for a living? I wanted to be a forest ranger. Can you imagine me as a forest ranger? Because I wanted to be one of those people up in the tower above the trees, out there just watching for forest fires. I didn't want anybody around me. I wanted everybody to leave me alone. And then I get saved, and a year later, I get called to preach, right? And to this day... I love being around y'all, all right? I really, really do. But I can only take so much of you. <laughs> and then I've just got to go be alone. <laughs> I, just, I just, I get tired. I'm like, Lord, I'm tired now. I'm tired, right? And some people, you know, it's just like, they just want to be around people all day long. I don't know how. People with full houses, right? 
I, I don't know how they do it. I just, I don't know. And if that was your growing up years and so forth, wow, that's, it's awesome. It's just very different than me. But see, this is, I, I'm not saying this to, you know, say, well, I'm better than you or this or that. No, no, that's not it at all. I'm trying to say that here I am doing something that I'm really not naturally gifted to do, okay? I teach karate. I teach karate to kids. I am not an athlete, right? I wish I was. I really wish I was. I watch people that can play sports well, and I'm just, I'm so impressed, right? But, you know, my dad took me, uh, and we started doing karate when I was 14 because I was getting in fights every day. And, you know, my parents didn't know what to do, so they're like, well, let's, you know, do this. So my dad and I studied karate for a couple of years, and it was very good for me. And it's very, you know, one step after another. Well, the Lord ends up turning that around and turning it into a ministry. The only thing I've ever used karate for, beyond getting my, when I, once I hit brown belt, the only thing I've ever used it for is to teach kids. That's it. And adults. I teach adults, too. But primarily, it's been teenagers and here lately, children. Uh, more teenagers have been coming, although not Tuesday. Tuesday, we had a small crowd, and it was kids. So you never know, man. You just don't know. Don't short sell God. He will call who he chooses to call. Uh, what did God say to Moses? Exodus 4.12. Now then go, and I myself will be your mouth and instruct you in what you are to say. Hey, man, if the Lord says go, your response is yes, sir. Not, well, yeah, but, and, uh, or what if, and, uh, no, just yes, sir, and go. He'll, he'll supply. He'll provide. Uh, another, you know, preacherism. Uh, I didn't get this, but it's worthy of repeating. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Amen? All right? Then he says, he moves on from Timothy to Apollos. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly encouraged him to come to you with the brothers. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has the opportunity. So Apollos was an Alexandrian Jew, as in Alexandria, Egypt. It was an intellectual center in the ancient world. Uh, the, the Grand Library of Alexandria that ended up burning down, which is really incredibly sad, was there. He was uh, both eloquent and knowledgeable in the Scriptures, which would be the Old Testament. And uh, we find information about him in Acts chapter 18, and specifically about him being eloquent and knowledgeable. You'll find that in Acts 18.24. He spoke boldly about Jesus even before he'd been baptized in the name of Jesus. Right? So he's teaching and he's teaching boldly, and he's teaching accurately, and he's refuting uh, the traditionalist Jews who were rejecting Jesus as Messiah. And he was saying, no, 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 here it is. It's in the Scriptures. And he was doing that extremely well. And so Priscilla and Aquila, we'll come to them in just a moment, uh, were in Corinth at this point in time. Excuse me, not Corinth. They met Paul in Corinth. They were in Ephesus at this point in time, when Apollos blows into Ephesus. Now, this is before Paul gets to Ephesus. But when Paul left Corinth after his ministry there, after his 18-month ministry there, he had met Priscilla and Aquila there. He took them with him, and they sailed across the Aegean, and they went over to Asia Minor. He stopped at Ephesus. He spoke at the synagogue there. He saw the potential he had not been allowed to do anything in Asia Minor on his way over 
uh, in, on the second missionary journey, but he sees that the Lord wants to do something, but he does not sense that it is time yet. So he leaves Priscilla and Aquila at Ephesus and then goes back down to Antioch, right? Not very long after that, he goes back up through the same journey that he had taken and winds up in Ephesus, and there he ministers for two years and writes this letter. Now, prior to Paul going to Ephesus for that two-year ministry, but after he had dropped off Priscilla and Aquila there, Apollos comes in and starts speaking, and he does a really, really good job. Well, Priscilla and Aquila take him aside, it says, and they explained the way of God more accurately to him. So he had it right, but he hadn't yet been baptized in the name of Jesus, and he didn't have all the facts quite yet. So they explained the gospel to him just a little bit more carefully, and as a result, he became a powerful, powerful influence. In fact, it is likely that Apollos' ministry was one of teaching apologetics, okay? So um, Paul says that he has adversaries in Ephesus, right? Earlier, remember, he said that a, a, a wide door of opportunity has been opened, but also uh, many adversaries, okay? Well, one group of adversaries that we read about in uh, Acts chapter 19 are the metal workers. That sounds weird, right? Paul's ministry was so effective in Ephesus that people were not buying these metal idols anymore. And that was hitting these metal workers in the pocketbook because they made a lot of money selling uh, these little idols of Aphrodite, right, and Artemis. And since it was Ephesus, primarily Artemis, Aphrodite would be Corinth, okay? Uh, and so they, these metal workers stirred up the crowd, and they started a riot, and uh, yeah, you can read all about it in Acts chapter 19. But the opponents that Paul most consistently dealt with and faced were his Jewish brothers and sisters, right? These uh, traditionalists who refused to accept Jesus as the Messiah, um, that was a consistent issue. Well, Apollos appears to have been an apologist for the gospel who uh, refuted the Jews. This is what it says in Acts 18.28 about Apollos. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures. This is why they couldn't argue with him, because he was using the Jewish scriptures, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now, we know the letters of Paul. Uh, we know what they are, okay? Uh, I've taught through all of the letters of Paul, and now we've bounced back, and I'm teaching back through First and Second Corinthians. But for some time, there was a dispute as to whether Paul had written uh, the, what we call the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews. Well, there's nothing in Hebrews that says that Paul wrote it. Um, there was some tradition in the church that wanted to attribute it to Paul, but that's just so they could authenticate it because it doesn't have any authorship. And so without um, this apostolic authority, they didn't know how they could include it in the Scripture, okay? But a, even a casual reading of Hebrews after reading, for instance, 1 Corinthians will lead you to understand, no, this is not Paul. This is not the way he writes, 
right? That's not the way he speaks. This is different. So who wrote it? Well, we don't know. However, um, Martin Luther, as in the one who started the Protestant Reformation, believed that it was Apollos. And there are other scholars who would concur. And to be honest with you, I would concur. I don't think it matters. It's the Holy Spirit's authorship that we're really concerned about. But based on what it says here about Apollos and his, uh, his familiarity with the Old Testament scriptures, the fact that he was from Alexandria, which means that he would have been steeped in Greek thought, Platonic thought, okay, as in Plato, um, and uh, that he, was, uh, he spoke to the Jewish people, well, that's, I think, powerful evidence that that could be his writing, uh, because when you read it, you will find that he is addressing the Jewish people about Christ and the, how the Old Testament shows that he is, in fact, Messiah. All right, then here are two verses that are very practical for us, verses 13 and 14. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. All that you do must be done in love. So Paul reminded the Corinthians, uh, Paul is reminded of the Corinthians' need to stand firm in faith due to all of the opposition marshaled against the gospel. Opposition he was facing in Ephesus and perhaps opposition that they were facing there in Corinth as well. Perhaps the reason Paul had asked Apollos to return to Corinth in the previous verse was to combat growing Jewish resistance to Jesus. Now, um, Philippi was the least Jewish city. Corinth and the other Greek cities would have had Jewish enclaves and synagogues there, but they were far more uh, influenced by Hellenism, Greek culture. But nonetheless, they were having, that is, the traditionalist Jews were having a, an influence uh, among uh, those who would uh, receive the gospel. Jewish resistance to Jesus was something that Apollos would have dealt with. So Paul here is telling them, hey, man, be on the alert. Well, this is what I've been saying to you, right? Okay, pay attention. Get off your phone, all right? Focus on what's going on in front of you. Realize that there is a world out here with uh, a lot of opposition if you're trying to follow Jesus. And the devil will try to trip you up, right? Have you seen these, you know, these little memes that get posted periodically? Somebody's on their phone and they walk into a telephone pole or something. <laughs> it's what we have happen all the time. Or I see uh, one of the things that I'm going to be glad about is that they're going to tear up um, all of the sidewalk in front of our building here, and they're going to put in, it's going to be all completely new. Well, if you've ever walked over near that tree over there, there's a little raised piece of concrete right there. And I used to put our sandwich sign right there, right? that said, you know, come to Lifewell and all that. And that advertised for the church, but it also kept people from tripping over that raised piece of concrete. Uh, well, why am I bringing that up? Because if you're not paying attention, right, <laughs> you can fall flat on your face. And I've seen people fall out there, right? And so, um, but that's a metaphor. That's a metaphor for the, the world we're living in. We've got to pay attention because you just never know what's, uh, you know, you may be facing. Now, here's something that's probably wouldn't be terribly popular in our era. Act like men. <laughs> okay, so our culture hates men. And, and ladies, I don't know, maybe you hate men too, So, and you might have reason to, for all I know. But we're not all evil and we're not all bad. 
there, there are gifts that men possess in the natural that are needed in the world. Um, this Sunday is Father's Day, not Men's Day, but every father needs to be a man of God, right? You need the strength that we have, and we need the intuition and the wisdom and the sensitivity that you have. Friends, we need each other. It's not just eliminate all men because men are evil and men are the devil, toxic masculinity and all that. Well, there is toxic masculinity, but I got news for you. There's toxic femininity too. It's just sin, right? So um, act like men means be strong. That's what he, mean, that's what he says in the very same, uh, uh, the, the next phrase in the same sentence, be strong, right? This is this idea of, you know, being strong enough to face this opposition, and then he follows that up immediately by, all you do must be done in love. It's really easy to fall into the trap of arguing with people and becoming argumentative, defensive, angry, hostile, right? Um, what I see today, I don't see a lot of logical argument being put out there. What I see is people shrilly screaming at each other to try to make a point and convince everybody of, uh, you know, their particular view. You know, I'm right and you're wrong. You know, call everybody else morons and idiots and all these names. But, you know, calling somebody a name doesn't prove your point, and it doesn't make you a better person. So what we're told is to speak the truth in love, right? Um, okay. Verses 15 through 18. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus, that they are the first fruits of Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to ministry to the saints. I urge that you also be subject to such as these and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men." So Paul holds Stephanus and his household in high regard due to their exemplary work in ministry, and he recommends that the Corinthians do the same. In fact, Paul urges them to be subject to such as these, right? Hmm. People that are servants don't lord it over us, right? People that serve in ministry, that follow Jesus and follow Jesus' model and example— they're not the ones that are pointing fingers and telling everybody what to do and trying to get everybody to subject themselves to them, which is precisely why Paul says you should. These are the kind of people you need to get under, right? So, you know, my responsibility is to stand up here and to teach and to give direction and so forth, but that doesn't mean I don't subject myself to the opinions of others. You know, there have been people who have been unwilling to share those opinions and, you know, uh, they think that they're not being heard. But if I don't hear, then I don't know and I can't make any adjustments. But I have been known to make significant adjustments on the basis of what people tell me. Now, I'm not going to be reactionary. Um, I remember some years ago, uh, the previous owner of uh, Dos Banderas uh, had a manager there who was responsible for their margarita, okay? And 
It was fantastic. I had one on occasion. I thought it was great. And suddenly I went into Dos Banderas and it wasn't great. And I called the owner over and I said, what, what happened? Oh, he said, well, he had a couple of complaints. A couple of complaints. So you changed the whole formula because of, listen, that's not what we're talking about. Hear the complaints that people may have, make adjustments accordingly, but we should all hold in higher esteem the opinion of those who don't want to lord it over, the, over us, who are in fact serving and giving of their time and giving of their money. And that's what we see with these folks right here. In fact, we're told in Ephesians 5.21 to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's all of us. Um, we're told to have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. We're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to be self-emptying. We're told to honor one another above ourselves, right? That's uh, Romans 12.10, right? So this all makes sense. We should hold people who serve in high esteem. The churches of Asia greet you. This is verses uh, 19 through 21. The churches of Asia greet you. That's where he is, the region of Asia Minor. Aquila and Prissa. She's usually referred to as Priscilla. Sometimes her name is used first, but it's never mentioned apart from Aquila. Aquila is never mentioned apart from Priscilla. They are the ministry power couple. It says, Aquila and Prissa greet you heartily. Well, again, this is where Paul met Aquila and Priscilla, was in Corinth. So the Corinthians would know them. Uh, they greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. So now Aquila and Priscilla were, were left at Ephesus, as I mentioned to you earlier, and they've been there long enough to where they have their own house, and they have a house church there. All the brothers and sisters greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand, that of Paul. So that's his signature. Um, so Aquila and Priscilla are what a married couple should be, ministers, and ministers together. All too often, a married couple uh, or married couples fail to minister as a team. One is committed to Christ, the other is not. I mean, as often as not, one is a Christian and one is not. Um, one is committed to ministry, one is not. Uh, they have two different ideas about this. But Aquila and Priscilla are always mentioned together. And as I said, sometimes Priscilla's name is mentioned first. It doesn't seem to matter. They are a team. They are inseparable. And their ministry is powerful precisely because they minister together. So Paul, in this very letter, has said, hey, if you're not married, don't go you know, seek someone out because you can serve the Lord wholeheartedly. But here's an example to the contrary of a married couple that were ministering powerfully together. And that's what should happen, okay? They greeted one another warmly with a kiss back then. It's sad that everything is so sexualized today. It's becoming even more difficult to display affection with a hug. So they would do the, the holy kiss. We would do the holy hug in church, the holy side hug, right? But it's, you know, gotten to the place where we don't feel like we can do much of anything anymore, and I think that that's sad. And we can see the example here of the affection that these people had for one another and that we should have for one another as well, okay? Um, 
Now, Paul signed his own letters. So we, you know, you sign your name uh, when you sign a contract. You put your name at the, at the bottom of a letter. I don't know. Does anybody ever write letters, like an actual letter letter anymore? Cards? I just wrote my mom a card and sent it to her for her birthday. Um, you know, and wrote it in my own hand and signed it. Well, this is Paul saying, hey, this is my letter. Well, why would he have to do that? Because he didn't write the letter physically. He had an amanuensis, right? A secretary. Paul spoke, and the amanuensis wrote it down. If you remember all the way back to the beginning of this letter, when we saw the dispute that was being addressed by Paul, uh, where the Corinthians had, uh, you know, divided into groups, you know, the first century version of identity politics. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. Well, we are of Christ. Okay. And the apostle Paul says, well, you know, I, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. Oh, wait a minute. I do remember I baptized these people, these people, and it all made it into the letter. <laughs> Paul could have said, no, was, hey, just edit that out. You know, no, he just spoke and they wrote it. So it kind of gives you an idea of the way they did these things. But to verify that it was him, he would take the quill and write, you know, hey, this greeting is in my hand, that of Paul, and sign his name. All right? Then, in the end, and I am actually going to finish. Yay! All right. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Ouch! Maranatha! The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, Paul's not cursing people. He's simply stating a reality. If you're not in Jesus, you are accursed. You're under a curse. That's why we preach the gospel. We want everybody to be saved. We want everybody to come out from under the curse. And then he says, Maranatha. Now, I read from the English Standard Version earlier. Now I'm reading from New American Standard. That's the actual word. And it means, Lord, come. Now, I remember back in the 70s when I got saved, that was a very popular word to use, Maranatha. It's a cool word. In fact, there was a musical, uh, I don't know if it was a, it was was like a a musical production house called Maranatha. Maranatha Records, I think is what they were called. Um, But yeah, Lord come. And then he wishes that the grace of the Lord be with you. That's what we should be wishing for everyone, grace, not legalism, not, you know, pushing our opinion on them, get straightened out, whatever, um, he, you know, had already said that those without Jesus are a curse, but what he wishes upon everybody is not the curse, but God's grace upon the Corinthian believers and upon all those who would listen and receive Christ. Let's offer grace to everyone that we encounter as well. Let's be gracious. You found your wallet. Amen. Answer to prayer. And then the last thing, Paul offers his love. This whole letter has been motivated by love. Amen? He's had some, you know, some strong words. He's had some difficult things to address, but it's all been motivated by love. And Paul's difficult labor among the Corinthians is motivated by love. He's telling them he's going to come back and visit them and stay with them for a while. It's all motivated by love, and that should be our lives, right? They should be motivated by love. Amen? Hallelujah. With... uh, a minute to spare, we finished. So my plan, Lord willing, 
is to start 2 Corinthians next week. So God bless you guys for joining us. We appreciate you, and uh, tune in next week.